You're listening to GradCast, the podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students. I'm Elizabeth Moeller, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Yusuf Hassan. And today, we are so excited to be talking with Anna Moyer. Hey, Anna, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> amazing. Thank you. So, Anna, to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, your research, and all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a queer non-binary student. I am also the SOGS Gender Concerns Commissioner. So some of you may know me through that. Um, I am just finishing up my master's in art history and I'm studying uh, indigenous tattooing. And I will be returning this fall to the PhD program at, uh, at Western and we'll be continuing my research and kind of expanding on it and including some other indigenous groups and types of tattoos. Well, tell us more about indigenous tattooing and how you came to be interested in, in this. Well, originally kind of started with just a fondness in general for indigenous art. Um, it's become a really big permanent fixture in the Canadian art scene, especially in recent years and has been getting a lot more I think press and exhibitions as a result, which I'm really happy to see. Um, so I started thinking about potentially doing something study-wise on it. And one of the things that intersected was that of my interest in tattooing. I have a bunch of tattoos myself. And so I started kind of looking into art representations of the tattoos and I ended up settling on Inuit art because they had just the most beautiful representations of tattoos that had been going on for the last hundred years or so. So there's this beautiful rich history of the tattoos being uh, shown in art, even with all of the, the banning that happened due to colonization. Can you tell us a little bit um, about that history? Can you unpack that a bit? Absolutely. So the tattoos originally were rite of passage tattoos and a very quick version of rite of passages is that they are essentially a set of rituals that a person goes through that takes them from one social status to another social status. So an example in like popular culture might be a woman getting her first period and donning a hijab um, in Islam. And then as a result, they take on the obligations of doing prayer and fasting. So that's an example of like a modern rite of passage. So historically, Inuit women would get their first tattoos most of the time when they got their first period. And it would indicate that they had learned the necessary skills such as sewing or cutting ice that indicated that they were now a woman. And they were also a thing of beauty. They were really something that um, was a way to express beauty to other people. Um, there's kind of some pretty standard designs that exist, a V on the forehead, lines on the chin and then sometimes cheek lines or lines near the eyes are very common. Mm -hmm. uh, after that, it can branch out a little bit more. There are hand tattoos, large arm tattoos and thigh tattoos that are quite common. Sometimes we also get ones across the chest. Um, they do all have specific meanings, but the meanings are sacred. So we don't talk about them outside of uh, an Inuit only context. Wow. Uh, unfortunately, they were banned by missionaries, um, especially missionaries like uh, Peck, who came up to the Baffin Island area. 
they decided that anything to do with shamanism should be eradicated and that Christianity should be the dominant force. And so much of Inuit cultural identity was lost as a result of the missionaries. And Peck was the person who actually introduced Inuktitut syllabics to the, the Inuit. Um, he took their verbal language and made it into syllabics so that he could translate the Bible and disseminate it widely throughout the culture. And unfortunately, he was very successful. Um, so the tattoos were banned around 100 years ago. And although a lot of Inuit women knew elders who had the tattoos, they stopped getting them. And so art became one of the only ways that the tattoo designs were kind of transmuted culture. Um, and they're just, it's, it's really interesting to see how they kind of preserved that identity through their art. Um, we're currently experiencing kind of an Inuit tattooing resurgence. So women are actually going and getting the tattoos and they've also set up apprenticeship programs to teach women how to do the tattoos again, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Um, so one of the artists that I study is Sarah Willen Lunn, and she's actually both a Western and Inuit tattooist, as well as a visual artist. Yeah, I, I was wondering, so did art um, sort of, I mean, despite their efforts to um, remove that identity, did art flourish as a result in terms of as a reaction? Hey, if we can't tattoo and express our identity, then might as well um, do more work over here. Do you think it expanded in some, uh, in some ways? I think so. I mean, Inuit art has a really interesting history because there wasn't much in the way of visual art as we know it in Inuit culture. Like there wasn't really prints or paper drawings or anything like that. Um, carvings were fairly common and they would be traded, um, but nothing like the kind of visual drawings that we see were around until um, a couple of key figures kind of introduced printmaking and drawing to Inuit as a mode of um, not only expression, but a way to make money, especially because a lot of Inuit were at that point kind of losing the traditional lifestyle. They were moving from kind of a semi-nomadic lifestyle to permanent housing, and they were struggling with things like access to food uh, due to all of the effects of industrialization, uh, changing wildlife patterns, pollution, all of these major issues. So it was also a way to make income and express their culture. Um, so the first ever show that was kind of done in like the lower Canada was by James Houston and he brought down largely uh, carvings from various Inuit craftsmen or artists and it sold out, it did fabulously. So mm -hmm. as a result of this drive, this market, um, printmaking shops were set up and it became a really big thing. And since then it's certainly taken on its own identity, but Inuit art is kind of an interesting history with regard to it being tied to colonization in a unique way. Um, and so when the tattoos come in, I think that a lot of Inuit artists drew what they saw they drew how they saw. And so that included representations of the people around them. And there's really very little portraiture in Inuit art. You wouldn't really portray a specific person, but you would just produce you know, an Inuit woman and she would have the tattoos as a result because that was sort of the norm. Um, so it's really interesting. It's, it's a very different way of looking at art than we are used to in Western contexts. 
So you sort of touched on this, but I wondered if we could go back. Could, would you be able to describe a couple of um, the tattoo images for us? <laughs> well, I do have a couple um, that I can show and describe. Oh, awesome. Okay, so I'm going to pull this one up. This is called Nuljuk Fate, and Nuljuk is another word for Sedna. And if you see, she's kind of in like a, a T pose, kind of like a, um, a crucifixion. She has uh, the facial tattoos and she's wearing an amati, which is like a parka. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can see her legs kind of have like these little fish scales. So you can kind of see this transformation. Um, would you guys be interested in hearing the story of Sedna? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so Sedna's a really interesting um, figure in Inuit mythology, folklore, storytelling, whatever you want to call it. She's also a very powerful being. Um, there isn't really a good word that exactly describes her. She used to be called a sea goddess, but that's not really accurate. I tend to use deity because otherwise you get into terms like power figure, power spirit, gets a little confusing. But essentially, the story of Sedna is that she refused marriage. She did not want to be married to any one man from the community. So she left the community and went to an island. And there's a couple of variations, but normally when she's on the island, she either procreates with a dog or a seabird called a fulmar. And her father is very upset about this because this is really breaking a taboo. She's supposed to marry an Inuit man, not a dog or a fulmar. Again, the story differs here a little bit, but most of the time she ends up in a boat with her father and he's trying to take her back to the community. And in one version, he gets very angry with her and he tries to throw her off the boat. And she grabs on to the side and he actually cuts her fingers off. In the second story, the Fulmar, her husband, is angry that the father is trying to take her away and creates a storm and she's thrown off the boat and as she falls, her fingers are severed. Either way, she floats down into the ocean and her fingers turn into the sea mammals like seals and she transforms into a deity. So she lives at the bottom of the sea. Um, so the reason that you'll see her with tattoos is because she was originally a normal Inuit woman. And I think that moment of transformation is really interesting because a lot of deities are sort of created or born with that power inherent to them. You know, if you look at someone like, I don't know, Jesus, he's, he's born like that. He didn't incur it. He didn't transform into the deity figure. So I think she's a really unique case. Um, so in Nilia Jacques' fate, I love this image so much because it is the image of her transforming. She has blood pooling from her fingers, and you can see the blood transforming into walruses and seals. Wow. And it's just a beautiful image. I love it so much. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. You know, Anna, I was thinking uh, you're also uh, our Gender Concerns Commissioner at our Society of Graduate Students, and you work with other commissioners, Elizabeth here, Accessibility Commissioner, and our Indigenous Commissioner, uh, Victoria, um, for example. I was really thinking, and maybe you've mentioned this to me and I've forgotten it, apologies for that, but I wonder if we could maybe create a, an event where we sort of showcase Inuit art and, um, oh, what do you think about that? I mean, I would love to, I think that it is just such a beautiful art form and it has a very 
kind of unique styling to it. Um, so the artist that I've shown you here is Ningyakulu TV. She's from Kingate, which was formerly known as Cape Dorset and none of it. And I love the way that she portrays images, her use of color, her style. It's just unique to her as an artist, but also I think Inuit art. Um, and I think that a lot of Canadians don't get a lot of exposure to it because it is up north. It's hard to access a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the primary museum is the Winnipeg Art Gallery that has the largest Inuit art collection. And obviously, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to Winnipeg anytime soon. <laughs> so I would love to host, even if it's like an online art gallery, that would be something that I would love to, to work on in the future. Awesome. And, you know, I'm curious, um, with the images that, that you shared, um, how, how did, can you kind of take us through the process of, you know, uh, people, you know, Inuit women would, would get these images tattooed, but how did the art sort of carry on through different generations? Like, was it um, done in carvings? Was it paintings? How did those symbols continue and carry on? So... I think that's a really interesting question and I'm not sure I have a great answer. Um, so we've found carvings from the Okvuk and Punuk groups, which were about 600 AD to 1200 AD. And those tiny amulet carvings had the tattoos on them. So we know that these tattoos have been consistent for thousands of years. Um, and if you go even to Siberia, which is kind of where Inuit people maybe originally came from, we can see very similar tattoo designs in some of the indigenous groups of Siberia. So when it comes down to it, the way that rites of passage work is that everybody who is a part of that group will undergo that initiation, that rite of passage. And if you don't undergo it, you aren't part of that society to the social standing that you want to be in. If you don't get through the tattoos, you are not considered a woman, right? So it's a really important process that not only communicates your identity, but also communicates information to you. When you go through the rite of passage, you learn certain things about being an adult, maybe secret knowledge, maybe special stories. And that's why the tattoos are communicated. And so by banning it, they effectively cut that generational line from the elders tattooing the young. So they severed a huge part of the culture through that and through cultural transmission. And those are very effective. I mean, they've carried on for thousands of years. And I think it, it really speaks to how horrible the effects of colonization can be. And, and you know, obviously I can't speak entirely on that as a white person, but the loss of culture is something that creates a lot of trauma and ongoing trauma that we do have to acknowledge as settlers. I, I guess I was wondering, when was tattooing uh, allowed once more? Um, when was that decolonization step taken? Truthfully, maybe in the last 20 years. Okay. Very, very recently. I would say that really in the last 10 is when the resurgence has happened. Um, a amazing documentary filmmaker, uh, her name is Alethea Arnakok Baril, 
might be saying that wrong, um, did a documentary called Tunnet Retracing the Lines of Inuit Tattoos. Mm -hmm. It is fantastic if you have a chance, watch it. Uh, and she actually goes through kind of the historical modes of tattooing and then goes through the process of her getting the tattoos herself and how her own family was very hesitant to let her get the tattoos. And they were talking about, you know, well, if you get them, like you're forever pegged as indigenous, you're forever pegged with this identity and, and what happens if that costs you jobs or opportunities. And so you can really see how there's still really negative associations, especially in older generations to indigeneity. Um, mm -hmm. That's why I think that this tattooing resurgence is so important. And I can only speak to it on a little tiny bit, but especially the fact that these tattoos are still sacred. Um, yeah. A lot to how important they are. And, you know, I was just thinking about that last comment you made around how the tattoos are sacred. Mm -hmm. So is there a process, and process maybe isn't even the right word, that an, an Inuit woman would would undergo to get a tattoo? Is it part of a ritual? ritual? Um, because when I think of getting a tattoo, I think it's, I have quite a different image in my mind than perhaps something that's a, a sacred ritual that's part of a culture. Absolutely. And again, this ties into the rite of passage again. Um, but here's the fun thing. Most Inuit tattoos are not done with what you would think of maybe a stick and poke or uh, a machine, a tattoo machine. Yeah. They were actually done by skin stitching. So they actually Ooh. took a needle and sinew dipped in oil mixed with soot and actually physically sewed your skin. So the best tattooists were the best seamstresses, the best skaters. Oh. Um, so as you can imagine, this is a painful, painful process. You don't undergo this for fun the way that we might undergo a tattoo now. This was a heavy process that you underwent. And you have to remember, most of the girls undertaking these first tattoos were 13, 14. So it was a really big deal. Um, and what's associated with rites of passage is uh, the state of being liminal. So you are not a child anymore in this case, but you're also not an adult until you finish the process. And during that process, you might learn knowledge that is secret to children, for example. So it really is a whole rite. It isn't just a fun thing that you would undergo. Um, and some women continued to get tattooed throughout their lifetimes. For example, that there were very heavy thigh tattoos that would be done. And obviously you couldn't do that in one sitting. Um, and they were thought to purify you. They really were something that would purify your menses um, and help with the hunt. And there were taboos around what menstruating women could and couldn't do. And it was also tied to, um, I've immediately forgotten. <laughs> Uh, tied to purification and um, they could also be like amulet-like protection against um, spirits, vengeful spirits, for example. The history of tattooing is so rich. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, when did you become interested in, in with history and art and all together and how did you come to do your master's? And I originally was in science, believe it or not. I wanted to be a vet. 
And then I worked at a vet office and went, oh, maybe I don't want to be a vet. Um, so I went to university anyway, and then chemistry really kicked me in the butt. Um, yes. So I took a year off. I became a personal support worker. I moved to Australia and au paired with a family. And I came back. I did a bunch of traveling in Europe, and I kept ending up at art galleries. I came back, and I went, I want to do art history. I'm going to take a course. And then I met probably the professor who's had the most impact on my life. Her name is Martina Meyer. She teaches at U of Guelph and she just transformed art for me and made it into something that I was like, I, I want to do this. This is what I want to study. This is what I want to do for the rest of my time. And then I got the opportunity to work under Shauna McCabe at the uh, Art Gallery of Guelph. And she is one of the most knowledgeable people that I've ever met on, on Indigenous art. And she was really the person who got me into indigenous art per se. Um, the way I got into the MA program was also insane because I was originally going to take a year off and work and then COVID hit and I did not get the job I was going to get because uh, it shut down. Yeah. And so I actually emailed the program and was like, would you let me in last minute? I'll do the application. And they were like, yeah, we've got extra spots because people preferred. Oh, good. So getting in like last minute and um, here I am. I, I'm so happy you did what you did, namely apply, even though you're well past the deadline. So often people think, oh, it's a deadline. So I guess it's over. But I'm like, no, always ask. People are happy to have yeah. people. And also I a small comment was, chemistry is so often the subject that people take and realize they don't want to do this thing that's something that they're clear about no no I really realized that it was not for me and and I felt like the just the the overall feeling of the sciences being in academic science didn't fit me it didn't fit what I wanted to do or what I was interested in. As much as I was interested in animals and, and animal welfare and conservation, I realized that actually being in academia wasn't about those things until much, much later. And so that made me really reevaluate what I wanted to do. So here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, you've mentioned something that's very exciting. So you're finishing up your MA, you're be starting, staying with us at Western Yay and starting your PhD. Can you tell us a little bit about what your plans are? What you're thinking of? So this is, you know, we're hearing a lot of stuff today about your MA research, but where are you thinking of taking, taking this? Well, for one, I was very limited in my thesis research. I was only able to talk on two artists, which are Sarah Whalen-Lund and Ningyu Kulu TV. Um, and that was simply just due to the, the scope was quite limited. So for one, I want to expand and actually present the archive of works that I've found uh, that represent tattooed people. It's probably around 100 to 150 images so far, and that will only expand the more I go. The second is I do want to broaden my horizons. Now, there are so many different Indigenous groups that have tattoos. Um, but particularly many tribes in Southern California had very similar rites of passage tattoos for women. And so I was hoping that I could expand and talk about their art, their story, and also expand in terms of decolonization and talk about how colonial representations of indigenous women were used against them. And 
there's a fantastic paper on this by Jamie Jelinski with regard to Inuit art. So I can only hope to work off of what he has done uh, and expand it and to, to really talk about how tattoos were used to other indigenous people, especially with colonization efforts um, from anywhere from about the 1600s onwards. Yeah, I, I was just wondering um, how you came to be interested in being our gender concerns commissioner and how's that journey been like? I know you've been, it's somewhat new, but you've been very active. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm, I mean, I've struggled with gender a lot. It's kind of been the thing that I've grappled with. Um, and I recently came out as non-binary, which was a whole new process having identified as queer for a very long time now, um, but never really, feeling comfortable identifying solely as a woman um, and just struggling with the gender binaries that exist. And so I've done a lot of education. I've tried to educate myself about what other communities, what other cultures do with gender, how they think about gender and how the Western views on gender are limited mm -hmm. and reductive and are used to often cores manipulate and and damage women. I can't say that everybody does that, but it's certainly something that is systemic. Um, yeah. So I also want to come at it from like an intersectional point of view. Um, and I can only hope that with the help of the other commissioners, I'm able to do that. Um, but I really just wanted to build a platform where people could feel comfortable coming to me if need be, and also create some fun events that people would maybe enjoy going to and educate themselves more on, on not only gender, but culture and things like anti-racism. It's a huge, huge world. And I think we shouldn't be stuck in reductive binaries. What you've just said there, Anna, really reminds me of a quote by Bell Hooks. And the quote is, I came to theory because I was hurting. Um, and it just, it, it reminds me of so many um, stories I've heard, whether it's around gender or disability, just trying to find language that helps you think about where you fit and that there are so many of these binaries created um, in our very Western conceptualization of gender and that they can do a lot of harm. Um, so it just really reminded me of that quote. I love that. I think it's very accurate as to where I am. And we're almost at the end of our conversation, our show. Um, Anna, is there any way that people can get in touch with you, any contact information that you're comfortable in sharing with all of us? Um, absolutely. You can email me at either genderconcerns at sogs.ca or uh, amoyer9 at uwo. Uh, it's just spelled like my name. Pretty simple. Um, I'd love to hear from anybody who would like to reach out about anything. I have lots of advice to give on tattooing in general as well. Um, and lots of fantastic like queer friendly or uh, racialized tattooists that I like to give out so that people can get tattoos and feel safe while getting them. Well, thank you so much, Anna. This has been a real pleasure. And we've, we've learned a lot today about um, your, not just your, your academic work, but your work with SOG. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. You have been listening to Gradcast.
the podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm Elizabeth Muller, I'm your host, and my co-host today was Yusuf Hassan, and our producer was Hira Nadine, and we were fortunate enough today to have Anna Moyer on our show, Gender Concerns Commissioner, and incoming PhD student. If you want to listen to this episode or other episodes, you can do so by going to our YouTube channel or gradcastradio.ca. You can also email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and have a good night.